Um, so this panel is called Butterfly Burning, Performativity and Aesthetics, and we're thinking about movement practices and research, um, and thinking also through building institutions and building audiences. Um, both Paloma um, and Candice are very, very involved in this way, not only as performers, but thinking about how to bring people together and how to establish uh, the kinds of practices, frameworks for the kinds of practices that we want to have and share with the world. Um, and I'll introduce each panelist. Paloma McGregor is a Caribbean-born, New York-based choreographer and organizer who has spent her career centering black voices through collaborative, process-based projects. In 2019, Paloma became the artistic director of BAX, uh, Brooklyn Arts Exchange, and congratulations, the new appointment, and I'm so thrilled to see what you're going to bring to the organization. Um, a nearly 30-year-old organization dedicated to, the, to supporting artists at every stage of development, from toddler to professional, and committed to a mission of anti-racist, anti-oppression practice. Since 2008, she has been Artistic Director of Angela's Pulse, which she founded with her sister, Director Patricia McGregor, and I had the opportunity to collaborate with um, Angela's Pulse on a phenomenal new online journal called Dancing While Black. Yeah, that's like sound, yeah. <laughs> So much power. Uh, please uh, make sure you go online uh, and look at the Dancing, Dancing Well Black Journal. It's really phenomenal. Um, she was the inaugural Urban Bushwoman Choreographic Fellow and is currently an artistic resident at Movement Research. Paloma toured internationally for six years as a dancer with Brooklyn-based Urban Bushwomen. She won a 2017 Bessie Award for performance as a member of Skeleton Architecture. Just like a phenomenal practice and really engaged with some of the most dynamic women in dance that I know in Brooklyn. Candace Zachary Thompson. Oh, why am I mixing up your name? Candace Thompson Zachary um, was born in Trinidad and Tobago, now local to Brooklyn, New York. Uh, she operates between the spheres of dance, cultural production, fitness, and wellness, with a focus on the contemporary Caribbean. She has had an established career as a performer, choreographer, fitness professional, cultural producer, teaching artist, community facilitator, and Caribbean dance specialist. In addition to her work in these areas, she leads uh, Contempo Caribe, an ongoing choreography and performance project and is the founder of Dance Caribbean Collective, an organizational platform for Caribbean dance in the diaspora that spearheads the New Traditions Festival. And I had an opportunity to um, be an audience member um, at one of the first uh, performances for Dance Caribbean Collective in New York City, just like really dynamic platform. Um, she's a graduate of Adelphi University. She, she graduated with a BFA in dance there. Center. Um, New York Live Arts and has shown her work at Dance Space Project. I mean, the woman has been showing work. <laughs> um, I'm going to skip over a few things because I think we'll hear about them as she goes on, but she's currently a candidate in MA in Performance uh, Curation at the Institute of Curatorial Practice in Performance at Wesleyan University. And I'm so excited that you're adding this layer to your practice. You're already um, operating in this way and just like digging into what established practices they are um, and really sort of uh, broadening the breadth of, of your own knowledge and also bringing a lot to the institution, which I'm, I'm sure you are contributing in, in a phenomenal way in the program. So it's wonderful to have the both of you here. And I think, Candice, you're going to begin. Yeah, sure. is, that, is that our order? Wonderful. Sweet. Hi, everybody. Um, yes, thank you. Hello back. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Nancy, for that wonderful introduction. And I'm really excited to be here with Coloma, um, who's like a big sister to me in, in the dance world. Uh, so my work focuses on the contemporary Caribbean, as you can see listed here. And I, I want to start with a few guiding questions that have permeated through all of my work in arts and culture for the past maybe five or six years. But maybe, you know, it's an ongoing project from childhood. So the first one is, how has Caribbean culture been constructed? So thinking about Caribbean culture as one entity, which, you know, could be a polemic uh, statement, but if we think about it as one big thing, what are the various facets and structures and um, parameters that make it what it is? What defines it? And what is this legacy of dance and movement? So what are the various rituals, practices, traditions, uh, movement uh, aesthetics, movement qualities that make Caribbean dance 
itself are not, you know, like other dancers from the African diaspora, how can it be represented and also challenged? So how can we make stages for it? How can we present it to new audiences? How can we um, keep the, the cycle of knowledge in new generations um, going with uh, some of these rituals and traditions? And then lastly, what kind of work does it need moving forward? So how do we make space to keep it central to our existence as Caribbean people? And then how do we make space also for innovation within some of these traditions? How do we use the rituals themselves to um, ensure our own evolution and our own like maturity, basically? So I use, those questions get answered through various artistic media. So as Nancy would have said in my bio, uh, through my performance and choreography, um, which is under the project Contemporary that I've been working on for the last few years, through contemporary rituals of participation. So I've been teaching something called soca dance for the last five years, and a lot of what that is is uh, looking at soca and carnival and the practices and movements that happen there and bringing them into spaces that it wouldn't ordinarily be, so teaching in various studios, tertiary level education, um, institutions, community centers, living rooms. So basically using those tools and strategies um, in, in various other ways to make new rituals um, for us to come together through movement. And then lastly, through curation and community gathering, which is most evident through my work with Dance Caribbean Collective, the organization I started in 2015 to support Caribbean dance choreographers and dance educators, um, and to make Caribbean dance itself more visible and more relevant to specifically Caribbean audiences. Um, so yeah, I will start with showing uh, a bit of my choreographic work. So uh, the first piece I'll show a bit of is Kiskadi, which was uh, a dance film together, uh, various artists, but um, stemming mainly from poets, poets and writers. And that really started with me using like different materials as the basis for movement exploration. And I would say probably that um, way of working sort of evolved in the next piece that I did, Niti Mas, which was developed at the Dancing Wild Black Fellowship, thanks to Paloma, and looking at various tools and histories of contemporary carnival, but also traditional carnival. And then the last piece that I'll show a little bit of is uh, a piece called Casso Danse, which is set to music by a group called Casav from the French Caribbean. And I was looking at only using the body as the way of, of telling a Caribbean story. And so it put more pressure on me for the work to look and sort of represent what Caribbean dance or contemporary Caribbean dance could. So we gotta go to another link, so give us a few seconds. So I use um, like various motifs, like the, the bangles are like what I wear when I'm at carnival and I want to you know, feel festive. Um, the skirts are they're like various Caribbean traditions that use skirts and so like I wanted to use to play with that idea. Kiskiris are yellow, so that's why one of the skirts is yellow. Um, and the 
film was basically developed like in two days with my husband who shot it and edited it. And we just played around with the materials and then pieced together this story. Um, and the music is by, I'm forgetting her last name, her name is Sharda, but it's a sitar that's playing in the background. So the next piece, yeah, which should come up. show one last clip well in this series um, and this is from the piece called Cant Castle Dance. like a little sample of my choreographic work. Um, and then, so I wanna talk just a little bit about, uh, yeah, this, what I'm calling contemporary rituals of participation, which is, you know, it's, I guess, lives more in the popular realm, right? So some of the videos get, you know, like 2,000 views. This is, these are the things that, um, live in the popular realm, but also in this like community-oriented um, environment. So my investigation, especially with Soka dance, was about, like I said in the beginning, looking at Soka and Carnival in the places that they naturally live or organically live, and then using some of those parameters, some of those interactions, and bringing them into the studio and into other settings. So I'll show two clips, the one on the left is just, which hopefully it goes, literally it's from a party <laughs> that a friend of mine throws. So that's like where it lives in its natural environment. And then the image, the, sorry, the video on the right, which you can play, um, is from an 
an event that happens at Carnival on like the Friday before where they reenact uh, the Kambule riots that led to the ritual that we now know as Juve. And so these guys in blue are what we call Blue Devils. And they're sort of an evolution from other devil characters, Jab Jab, Jab Malasi, that were invented around the emancipation of slavery in Trinidad and in other islands too. And so like even the movement practices of traditional car carnival characters like this are sort of what I bring into a studio soca practice. And so I'll, hmm, let's see, can I click through? Ah, yeah. So the video on the left now is like a video from my soca class and like what, what it looks like, I guess, in a contemporary setting. And then the last thing I'll show is uh, the video on the right, which is an, a workshop that we organized with um, some dancers and choreographers and drummers from the National Dance Theater Company of Jamaica. And I think that this is, you can play it, this is really exemplary of making class settings and studio settings more of a ritual than like, I instruct you, you follow. Um, if you could skip through to like 28, So it's just a way of using those like movement practices and making them its own thing as opposed to constantly referencing where they come from in a sense. The last like phase of, of my practice that I'll share is on my work with Dance Caribbean Collective. So, as I said at the beginning, it was more about supporting the work of Caribbean choreographers and Caribbean dancers, but a major part of the work really became about audience development and about making uh, these artists relevant in the communities that they hold there and that they care about. And so a lot of our programming is about like bridging the gap, the knowledge gap between leaders and um, men like mentors and master teachers and the general public and also other younger dancers as well. So DCC Town Hall is an event we did focusing on cultural appropriation, uh, the Diaspora Dance Series, um, where we programmed different teachers from uh, practices that don't get a lot of attention so that people could get a sense of what they were. Um, our youth performing arts company, uh, we sent um, artists into a few middle school and high schools to do work with the students and they performed in our festival. And then um, the New Traditions Festival is like our main event which uh, presents the work of contemporary Caribbean choreographers and again makes it relevant and like exciting for audiences. Um, and then the last part that I want to touch on is the Our Caribbean Spirit project that we did in 2017. And that was part research, but also part like um, a community project. And then part also, it became part of our performance for the festival. And we interviewed leaders in Brooklyn or in New York who um, carry on a Caribbean tradition and used what we learned in the creation with the dancers who were from various different dance styles and backgrounds and put the piece on for the festival. And so the last thing I'll show is this one. Our spirit is to the road, 
And so the clips are from the interviews that we did with the various leaders, and we use those as, um, yeah, as prompts, basically, to, to create the, the piece. Uh, these are just images from the festival, the various choreographic works, and then this is just what I have coming up next. This is where you can find me. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. I've had a sense of the breadth of your practice, but really um, how you show us all the layers is so phenomenal. And just uh, you know, a few uh, initial remarks. I'm thinking about uh, audience, you know, um, you're all building audiences, but also within your space of teaching, within your space of rehearsal, it seems like you are building that community as initial audience. They become audience to the distillation of the different notes that we see within the form, within the form of what's happening in carnival, stripping away each thing, thinking about the history, thinking about where each movement is coming from, thinking about costume. You know, we often uh, think about Caribbean dance as this like huge explosion of vigorous movement, like really fabulous and, um, you know, visually stunning, vibrant costume, um, but we don't think deeply enough about all of the different pieces that are coming together, the community that works to make that costume, what that costume is referencing, what those movements are referencing, the power dynamics that it's referencing. And, you, and as you start to distill, you're so generous because you allow us to enter into the space. So it really changes how we're able to read that form when we go back uh, on Labor Day you know, to Crown Heights and we're in you know, all the you know, fanfare. Thank you so much. Great. Um, and we're going to move over to Paloma. Yeah. I'm going to say one note. I added one video under Fish Trap. Thank you. <laughs> um, hey, y'all. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, I'm going to do a little reading from here just to keep myself on point. Um, no, it's good. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just want to say broadly that I believe in that cultivating community is a creative act and my work really centers around that as creative practice. And I'm going to talk about two major projects that I'm doing that under the auspices of Angela's Pulse, which you mentioned earlier, um, are major parts of that work. And I have to note that Angela's Pulse is named after my mom, who is an arts educator um, all of my life and an activist and who's 82nd birthday is in two days. So, um, and these are things that are important to me too. Yeah. Just before you start, Candice, I want to make sure that you also can see the slides. So if you oh, want to yeah. move over to a... Do you, you know, want, do you want to switch for that reason? Yeah, no oh, problem, okay. no problem, exactly. No problem. So the first one that I'll talk about is a platform called Dancing While Black, which I founded in 2012, and Candace was a fellow in 2015, I think, um, to support community building and to deepen aesthetic agency among black dance makers, particularly those who don't see themselves as confined to any particular technical practice and who are interested in hybridity. Um, and we do this through a lot of things, including dialogue, process, performance and documentation, and I'll share a quick video with some voices who will make up the community of the work. About a fullness of representation that I want to see in the world. Dancing while black is an influence of an awesome state of power that deals with measurement, properties, and the relationship to points lines, angle, surface, veins, and runs through my body, my body that creates movement. It carries a unique rhythm and pulse. For me, it has been my liberator, my motivator, my educator, my provider, my love. It's expansion and reflection, 
It's illumination and contraction. Dancing while black is probably not any different than doing anything else while black. It's not a choice, it's a state you're given alongside of an inheritance of invariant actions of quantitative expressions that remain constant throughout a certain range of constructs. It's dancing without shackles on body, emotions, mind, or spirit. It's against the majority. It's the product of Dutch colonial orgasm. It's a test of the emergency broadcasting system. See something, say something bubbles that became nooses and bloody skittles when choking fresh air into the space where you know who you are and continue to imagine the world that can be. We could stop it is about there. how do I we could stop make representation of my world given what I've been given. So, uh, the idea for histories are important to me, so the idea for Dancing While Black emerged uh, out of a platform at Dance Place Project curated by Ishmael Houston Jones, who is a pioneering dance maker and also su great supporter in his like particular way of like folks who are black folks who are making dance in New York City. Um, and it was a seven-week festival uh, that was the revisitation of a platform he had done 30 years before with some super pioneers, including Jawale Zahler, B.B. Um, Miller, Ralph Lemon. Um, and I was a performer in a work there and also a witness of many of the things that happened over those seven weeks. And I felt both frustrated and inspired. I felt inspired because there were so many of us doing such interesting work, some of which deeply resonated with me, some of which pushed my buttons, and I was excited by the idea that we are so diverse and that within seven weeks there was room for that. And then I thought, really, every 30 years we get space to do that at these other kinds of institutions? And so um, it was happening at a time where I found myself having some small opportunities to show work or to um, curate a dialogue and, uh, so Dancing While Black sprung out of this frustration and inspiration. Um, and it's been done mainly in partnership. Like I've been excited until I took this role at BACS. So I've been excited over the past decade to be kind of operating a bit on the margins and creating partnerships with institutions that were values aligned um, where I felt like, okay, well, you have a certain kind of resources and I have a certain kind of resources and how can we partner to create spaces where black voices are central? Um, and that's been done in partnership with Urban Bushwomen, which is like my dance home um, in New York, with Bronx Academy of Arts and Dance, which is I think doing some of the most pioneering work that's happening here in New York City, um, with uh, the Hemispheric Institute for Performance and Politics at NYU, where I had a year-long residency kind of stretched into a couple of years and where I feel like they're making black POC queer space in a white space. Um, being NYU, and um, you know, it was also happening, 2012 was the year Trayvon Martin was killed, and there were a lot of things happening in dance um, that I don't know people would say were one-for-one one responses to that moment and the moments that we find ourselves in after that moment, um, but I noticed they were happening at the same time. In 2012, Camille Brown uh, founded The Gathering, which was an annual gathering of black women, and I mean, I would extend women, gender nonconforming. I don't think she posed it that way, but um, it was also the year Brenda Dixon Gottschild, an amazing scholar who has been pioneering for decades um, to push for the presence of blackness in all of the dance organization called the Coalition for Diaspora Scholars Moving to Support Black Dance Scholars who were finding themselves even two generations after she had pioneered work contending with some of the same um, racist paradigms that she had experienced. Um, Tommy DeFrance started the CAD conference that year. Uh, Jamil Kosako um, had Black Male Revisited, a dance space project that year. So there was a lot happening in 2012, and so I feel like the work that I was doing was just part of a larger movement that was happening in the field and necessitated years or individuals. Um, so out of this work became a uh, I created a fellowship program, a year-long program for six to eight dance makers, including Candace. Candace was in the kind of inaugural fulfilled class. Rashida Bumbry was in the class before that because um, 
I was trying to figure some things out and I had to invite some close-in people to help me figure them out. Um, and the four things that the fellowship really I see as supporting our emergent practice, you know, where are people now and where, what are the scary places or the maybe unknown places they might want to push their work into that they don't know that some other institutions might have the wherewithal to hold them in that space. Um, to do some networking, to harness kind of the power of the affinity group to strengthen artistic voices um, and counteract this isolation that happens, um, that comes in part from the pervasive tokenism in our field. Like how do we show up as like, oh, I'm the one black person in this really, you know, amazing um, opportunity to be presented and that's part of my, what has been presented to me as the trajectory that I must make in the field in order to have success, and it's all hinged on white institutions. Um, for intergenerational exchange, uh, there are just too few. I was lucky to have been in a company, um, Urban Bushwoman, where there were, even at my time in the company, there was a woman who was associate artistic director who had been in the company for 20 years, and then the founder had been doing the work for 30 years, and so there was intergenerational exchange just built into my workplace. Um, but in the field, as emergent practitioners are developing their work, there aren't enough pathways for folks to even identify what lineages they're building work in, who's done what before. Um, not to narrow people, but to have grounds folks. Um, and then some professional development and support, like Candace did use some, like a small pool of money that we had available to do some particular research to study in Trinidad with some master teachers, I think, and um, yeah. And then the third uh, aspect of this work, um, or the most recent aspect of this work, is a digital journal. I was a newspaper journalist before I came back to dance, and I, um, have some mentors who've long been waiting for me to figure out a more explicit way to marry my practices. Um, and so in collaboration with Purpose Productions and uh, the Hemispheric Institute, which has a platform for a developing and sort of responsive platform for digital journals, um, we launched this digital journal this year, um, Dancing While Black, Black Bodies, White Boxes. Um, and it has, you know, it includes nearly two dozen sort of new takes or new entries into the um, into dance thinking, um, and so we're eager to see how we might expand this, how um, how what impact this can have in the world. You know. I really believe in the body in space and time. So the fellowship is a lot about us meeting in person and knowing the importance of our bodies being in the same space. And at the same time, how can we call our own names and stretch our visions beyond the spaces our bodies can occupy? And the journal feels like a way to try to work in that realm. Um, I think we were the first digital journal to really use like a video cover. And I think that actually the journal platform itself is ground the work through a call and response between the text that the dance makers were creating and uh, amazing curation of some folks who are doing values aligned and practice within the visual arts world. And so to be in this really engaged collaboration about um, between fields and platforms um, to kind of figure out how we broaden our reach. I thought that was really wonderful, uh, Paloma, for you to open up the space of uh, this online platform, a viewing space that can hold uh, time-based media, also stills and, and uh, space for reading, um, to open it up into the visual art community. And just like, you're continuously building all of these uh, through lines and allowing people to reach into each other's uh, practices, to see where there's shared values and really bringing people to the table in all these wonderful ways. Hmm. Well, that is a good segue into what I was going to say next, because, you know, I'm black, I'm bicultural, I'm first generation on either side to uh, grow up in this country, and I hate to be boxed in. Like, I, I feel like there's such an American impulse to, like, narrow and if no, actually, let's be in this conversation, but that's my experience here, and so I feel like this idea of, like, no, actually, let's be in this conversation to create communities of... Um, shared values, like values and practices feel important to me as, as ways of connecting ourselves to one another. Um, 
So the second thing that I'll talk about um, is my creative choreographic performance making work, um, and I'll try to move through this briefly. Um, I'll start talking, and then when the video, that video is available, then I'll play the video. Um, so in 2010, a couple years before I started the Dancing While Black platform, um, I went home to St. Croix to talk to my dad about building fish traps. My dad is a fisherman, he's been a fisherman all my life. He had a long life of doing lots of other things before that and returned home in his 50s before I was born um, to fish. And I had been navigating this New York landscape, trying to figure out what people meant by movement invention and um, innovation. And like, what did, what did folks mean by that? I, I had heard the language tossed around and had been in various de degrees of proximity with my own practice to what that might mean. Um, and I needed to get grounded. So I went home to figure out like, well, what is it that my dad did? He was really making something. It has an aesthetic and a creative practice, and this is my lineage, and I need to get grounded in my true lineage um, to, e to be able to navigate this space and with a lot more agency. Um, and so uh, I, oh, well, yes, we can look at this. This is great. So uh, this is, um, these are some video clips from my, uh, in 2016, I returned home to, uh, at the invitation of curator Monica Marin, who's from St. Croix also, and in collaboration with Oshana James, who is a performance maker who lives here and is also from St. Croix. And um, I was invited home after an earlier uh, gathering, convening at which I met Oshana, um, to create some kind of performance work and I decided to uh, explore the connection between my father's abandoned childhood home um, which is in Christiansted, which is uh, an area of town that largely doesn't, except for parade, largely does not see a lot of foot traffic um, and in fact the uh, there's been a new highway, quote-unquote highway, built to kind of avoid driving through town now, so it sees less and less activity. Um, so what would it mean to activate the space between the, the burned-down childhood home where my father grew up and where I lived as a child, and uh, Gallows Bay, which is a terrifying name that I didn't realize was so terrifying until I was an adult. Gallows Bay, where my father used to build fish traps, and to create a ritual where both spaces were... Um, energized and where conversations happened on the walk in between. Um, I'm sliding through here uh, to see my daughter Olamina and uh, she decided she has some things she had to say about the work too um, and trying to figure out ways like it's really pushing me to make some ways to understand how the presence of of dance making or movement making um, in my home space um, and the my creative practice here in New York around like experimentation and innovation have um, synergies and to look at something like parade and and use that as a underpinning for some ways of building community that I'm uh, experimenting with. Um, one of the things that this project has pushed me um, with is uh, both an, a, a claiming of this idea of like site-specific or site-responsive work in which black makers are often rendered peripheral, um, and also a discarding of that language is actually not as relevant as like community-specific. Like I, I don't think. I th itself um, because the site is activated by the histories that are created in relationship to the people who inhabit the space. Um, so that's been one of the ways in which this has pushed my practice. And then I kind of want to back up to um, play uh, video on Market's boat. Um, one of the early things that I did was go home and apprentice myself to a fisherman who used to f who fishes out of the plot that is next to the plot where my dad used to fish. My dad will be 90, 
four this year, so he's not fishing anymore, but, and he never took me fishing, most likely because I was a girl child, and that's just not something you do. So in a lot of ways, me showing up as like a nearly 40-year-old woman wanting to go out every morning before dawn with two men who are going to drink beer the whole time and pull up traps on a boat that's kind of like falling apart uh, was a, was a, both radical for them, and they were also like, oh, sure, you're McGregor's daughter, you can come. So... Um, yeah, so there's, I think this is a video, yeah, on the boat. It's short, but yeah. So there's a choreographic practice at work in this work that they do every day, and I needed to, I'm the kind of person I have to be in it to understand what's happening. My research is highly embodied, and so it was really important to be with them for a month and just go out three times a week and and fish. They wouldn't let me do shit. They just, I just had to sit there. They wouldn't let me do anything. So maybe next time they'll let me do something. I don't know. Or maybe my daughter will convince them she can do something. It's not easy work though, so I can understand why, but I don't think they know how strong I am. So, um, and then I guess maybe the last thing I'll say, oh, yeah, is that the big thing that's present for me right now is the call and response between colony and mainland. Um, you know, St. Croix is a U.S. territory, like I'm a U.S. citizen, and one would think, particularly after the 2017 hurricane season, that that was not the case. And now, you know, um, that call and response has most particularly shown up in my relationship to the Bronx River. Um, and I'll read something about that because I want to make sure I hit this. La St. Croix and the Bronx are both places where I was already a member of community. Both are also spaces where resourceful people of color and the bodies of water that are situated there have been traumatized by industrial encroachment and abandonment. St. Croix, for example, on St. Croix, for example, a now abandoned oil refinery, which they're trying to reopen in 2020. Uh, ruined the ecology of the U.S. colony's south shore where my dad says he used to be able to catch lobster with his hands. This was compounded by the devastation caused during the 2017 hurricane season, a byproduct of the global warming trend that has already bleached our beloved coral reefs. Similarly, the Bronx River, New York City's only freshwater river, was once so polluted by industry it was declared an open sewer. It has taken decades of community organizing, much led by... POC youth to gain access to the river and begin to clean it up, but it's still not safe to swim in. So the, I, these two spaces have been places for research and performance um, for me, and as we approach this 2020 season where the oil refinery may be uh, reopened, I'm really curious about cultivating residue both with performance work um, of memories and histories of the Senkofa to be activated there. Um, and curious about residue, like both the material archives that are produced and remain in the process of creating together, but also the embodied, which I don't think of as ephemeral, the embodied archive, which is held by collaborators and witnesses and is very present as we talk about transformation and energy that's exemplified by this title, Butterfly Burn, and how can we be more deliberate about pointing to and cultivating that, so yeah. That's a wonderful uh, note to end on. Thank you so much. You, you, wherever you want to be. Yeah. I'm so struck by um, the notion of knowledge, the deep kinds of knowledge that you are thinking through, uh, lineage, uh, historic trajectory, um, a knowledge that might be within the body, that might be reactivated when going back to a childhood home, um, uh, moving through spaces um, that your family would have moved through and since generations and walking those actual paths. Um, really, you know, profound. Um, I'm also thinking about the title, you know, Butterfly Burning, you, this idea of 
what we present on the outside, the butterfly is this like really uh, beautiful figure that moves through space and can be quite mesmerizing. It's really, you know, for me, there's some things within nature that uh, point to audience automatically. They're, 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 they're doing their thing, but they're really for us to see. I mean, they're, they're performing for each other, but they become this phenomenal spectacle around us. Um, but then there's also what happens uh, for that individual that we are looking at, what we don't see, the exhaustion, uh, the actual labor. You're, all, you're both performing different kinds of labor, this uh, level of research, um, this moving between spaces. Sometimes I think about myself as an immigrant, as almost like a time traveler, and what does it mean to be holding ideas around space, uh, time, uh, all at once, cult these different cultures. And so maybe we can speak uh, to that, the aspects of the work that we are not seeing on the surface, anything that you want to point to about the modes of, these modes of work, rehearsal, um, research, uh, even deep thinking, uh, communing with people in um, back home who know your father, that level of conversation, and what that's bringing to the work, or how important that is uh, to the work. So, uh, one thing that's surfacing for me in the past couple years, um, in part out of exhaustion, I think, exhaustion toward producing the like singular performative culminating outcome of like, you know, this, this work on the river is like the result of seven years of community building. We did it one day, two performances. How can I reframe for myself and then insist for those outside that this one moment actually cannot, is only process, can only capture what it means to be in connection to witness in a moment as part of process and that cannot contain the many, the many um, powerful things that are produced as part of an ongoing process. So um, like right now, specifically with this, was this was not everything that I wanted, envisioned as a choreographer, like, oh, it doesn't have this or this, you know, and that's one mind frame to have around it. And the other mindset that kind of strips away the internalized stuff that's working at me when I'm telling myself that is, oh, I to envision ideas of things they wanted to do. Half of the collaborative team, like the core collaborative team was from the Bronx, and at least one of those people, out of being a part of this process, is developing some really strong performance, and I think we'll begin working, as it, uh, working on it as organizing work around the gentrifying Bronx through her own experience as a lifelong member of uh, the Bronx community. Um, there's also a, a residue that's left in the space for all the people who just show up to go to this park, who encountered some strange thing that happened there that day, uh, that is a, now indelibly etched in their memory around what that space is for and who it's for. Um, and so that's, I'm not sure what your question was, but that's part of what I'm thinking no, this about. Is, this is amazing. Really just thinking about all the things that uh, come before what we see oh, yeah. on the stage. And yeah. this is, I yeah. mean, this note of the seven years of working and building, when we see the images of the community around Dancing While Black, it seems like so immediate. Yeah, these are people that know each other, but all of that is pointing to years of connections and other people bringing other people through. It's wonderful to see the individuals uh, that I know in the, in the images. But this uh, note that you talk about what it takes for you to even get to the stage of uh, having those two-day presentations within that space is really important. Uh, and and the, I, may not, I, I may not be satisfied by knowing anything of what, hap what yeah. comes of the work yeah. and that I have to know there's a great deal of uncertainty and trust that has to come with like creating and facilitating uh, containers for community building and not controlling the outcomes. Yeah. 
I also like how you uh, talk about those two stagings as still part of process. I know this is an ongoing project for you, and so thinking about opening up the space of the project to um, audiences even when some things might not be resolved or when things have gotten resolved to a certain point and letting it sit and letting it be, and also watching back at what you have come to to be able to move forward to the next stage, which I think is really a wonderful way that you're working. Candace, maybe you want to uh, point to some of those things. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll build on that, especially with my work with Dance Group and Collective, because it's about the big show, and, and for us, one of the things was that we we didn't have that like as a as Caribbean as a Caribbean community like I felt that there was no big stage where our works were amplified, and so that became a really important part of our like the work and like sort of like an activist underpinning of the work like magnifying what we do, um, but also the incredible amount of labor that that takes right, um, and because we're in a society that that large spectacles are almost taken for granted because, you know, you have, like, we, we walk down Broadway, there's, like, shows happening every day. So there's a way that it's, it was needed and it's a statement that it means a lot, but at the same time, it's, it, it's it, the work that it takes to build those things, to build those structures, um, I guess a lot of times just gets... Um, just, it, it's invisible, it, it, and there's almost no way for people to see it. Um, and so as a, like, I guess, like, as a director, I've had to figure out how to make the sort of impact that I wanted to make, but without only valuing that big statement. So, you know, how do we value the same, the, the relationships that get built but during the process of, of building the festival? How do we value um, the growth that happens with the people who participate? How do we value the work that they end up doing after the show is over, years later. Um, and then also like the kind of like tectonic shifts that I, I guess from my vantage point, I can kind of see that happen in the way that people think about dance, that people think about Caribbean dance. Um, the kind of choices that I see younger artists making that I know is sort of as a result of the, 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 the vibrations that we sent out from like the work that we did, even if it's not, again, like, the last festival we did was in 2017, and the next one may not be until 2021. So there's like, you know, there's a huge lapse, but like the work is still happening because we've set something in motion. That's wonderful. Thinking about passing on the baton and also just like uh, one piece of work being a catalyst for another generation, another community. It's really great. Um, Candice, I wanted to uh, think through uh, certain ways you've presented work to us. You showed us some video that a piece can uh, result in that uh, media, and that's the way that we come to it. And we're actually watching it on a screen, like a, a wide screen, a, a projection space, uh, but we could come to a stage where on our phone. Uh, you're also presenting this festival on stage, on a very big stage, where maybe like hundreds of people could watch, and you showed us um, a party scene and uh, the space of carnival. How are you thinking through space, backdrop, and what are these different uh, formats adding to the work, or how are you thinking through which, which piece of the work uh, lives where? Um, I think that's something that's, that's more at the forefront of my mind recently. I don't think that it's something that I thought about a lot in, in the process of doing all this work. Um, it, it's a, it, I felt like my early work, especially my, my early research, was really about like how to bring it to the studio because that's a space that I already knew. So it was about bringing other places that I feel alive into the, other, the spaces that I work, I guess, professionally in, right? So living, going to carnival, going to soccer parties, like that's life, literally. And then I had this other professional life as a dancer and, and choreographer that, you know, happened in, in studio spaces and in theaters that were separate. And so for, I think, a long time, the, the work then became about sort of bridging the gap between those two spaces and seeing what both, what either could teach to the other. Uh, so it's like my friends from the soccer party, could they come to my show and see some of their genius on stage, right? Is my friends who I take ballet class with, could they come on the road for carnival and, and see how movement and uh, people interact in that space? So I think, yeah, a lot of the work has been about like learning from each space. Um, but more recently, I think I've been um, 
going, just like wondering how else the work can be presented, right? So like, what would it mean to do work specifically for the screen? Like I that, that, did that film a few years ago, but like to come back to that, what would it mean? Um, yeah, even, yeah, online platforms and social media, like how can the work live through those media as itself and not as uh, like a token of a larger thing? I'm really excited to see you uh, produce more work in video. What struck me so uh, much about this piece is you're really controlling how we see the figure. The figure is lying on the floor. We are at the same eye level as the figure. We're almost seeing uh, like a, a sliver of what could be a larger point of view. You're framing the body in a way that we are, you're really limiting what we see. You're amplifying certain uh, aspects of the costume. Um, and it's really, really phenomenal. I'm excited to see what other things come out of this work and collaboration with Andre. Um, and then Paloma, we are seeing uh, this work within the landscape. And I, you said, you talked about a body of water, and I love that. Um, thinking about the black body in space, on a stage, on a screen, but also what are the other figures that we're encountering? And maybe you could speak to that. What is it, what is it like to take your work from the landscape to the stage um, and also uh, into, because we're experiencing these as images and I'm hoping that in the future you also think about exhibiting some of these uh, process shots as works. You know, I think some of the compositions are really profound, but also thinking through staging the performances for visual reproduction, that that is uh, the final form that we see them in. It's so interesting you say that because as I've been envisioning this time that I'll be at VCU, I mean, I've been thinking about, I've long been thinking about the material archive of the years of research of the world of fish trap as an insulate to like vision and installation that people could interact with and like instigating people to uh, activate some of the practices of that come as part of the what we're calling the fish trap method um, and add to the installation through these generative practices, like mostly writing, but also um, perhaps image making. And so um, it's a curiosity of mine and I uh, have been more recently thinking that I could spend some time uh, activated in figuring out uh, what, you know, in using like residency time as a choreographer for generating that work as, wor as part of the, um, part of what I'm producing in that residency. Um, and then I will say within the landscape. Um, so, I mean, we're mostly made of water, right? And so as, as bodies. And so in some ways this relationship with these other spaces where bodies of water are, are um, a presence, like a collaborator, um, feels most natural to me as a space to activate visioning. Um, and that comes from my just lived history and where I'm from. And so acknowledging that and as an aesthetic priority, saying like where I'm from and the, that I love water is an aesthetic priority then, um, which has now been compounded by this idea of community building and collaboration and the ways in how I can see my work as an artist. I'm not an, I'm not an environmental artist, you know, I'm not, but how I can see my work as an artist as aligned with other folks who are doing work, who care about those spaces also, and whose practices are different. And so developing some methods to be in shared practice with like educators or ecologists, um, like what do you bring to the practice is another way my idea about collaboration has expanded. Um, how does me, me making work informed by a shared practice with folks who are not artistic practitioners and have other expertise, um, have value within these broader movements that, um, how is it aligned? Like how can we work in comradeship around some stuff that's just human, like we're destroying our earth. So me, I'm not gonna be able to make work at the water if the water is being destroyed. Um, yeah.
That's really profound. I love how you said uh, that we are made up of so much water that is, is, is part of what uh, is a building block of our body. And um, I'm thinking about the work of our colleague um, Maria Bauman and uh, MB Dance, their um, slogan is switch your truth. And so as we are moving, as we're made of water, that water is actually pouring out of us as we're performing, doing that work. Um, we have a few minutes left, and I wanted to open it up to the audience to ask some questions, um, state some remarks, um, and share some thoughts with, uh, with us, and uh, Paloma and Candice can respond accordingly. You didn't show the song on Kassab, right? Did you show it? I did, yes. Okay, I missed that. You missed you probably. Okay, sorry. And also in the 80s, I was in New York in the 80s, there were a lot of dances, Gad Fagan, Elio Pomari, and mm -hmm. all those guys. What happened since, I mean, you guys, your generation? Gad Fagan is still around. No, I know that. But yes. Him, but you, the New York people, people, guys like you, we don't see your stuff. You could usually go to Joyce and you can see it all the time, Every, at least once a year. Right. So you're asking, where do we show our work? Uh, no, what happened to your generation? Like, we don't see your stuff constantly every year. Like once a year, at right. or Symphony Space or somewhere else. In the 80s, every year, once a year, you could see those guys. You could see them perform in New York City. The era that funded, <laughs> funded the NEA era that funded a lot of these folks in the 80s, like Urban Bushwoman was founded in the 80s. Um, uh, Oh, it's a lot of them. We're a lot of them. A lot of these anniversaries that have been being celebrated over the past uh, decade or so were seeded with major, un major support from the Cape now we're in the 80s, um, which is not to say that's the only reason, but that we're in a landscape now where young emergent, like I happen to be sort of in a maybe, I'm in the very few folks who like went to work at a major dance company of my generation of folks. Um, there's more of us dancing. Dancing has become professionalized. There's all these college programs that are taking, having people take out student loans to go study dance in college and then come out and there's like no companies to dance in to make money as a dancer. Um, yeah, there's more of us too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, we aren't on the big stages, right? So, because part of getting to the big stages means you have to have your own funding. You have to be able to develop your work to a point where the people with the money want you. And so, yes, that, that's all I'll say. That's kind of interesting to think about uh, having to build your own cultural capital to be, so, so that people can feel like your work is validated and then they will invest in you. It's yes, kind of interesting, yeah. basically. And then there's some folks like me who are kind of like, I mean, yeah, who are kind of like, I don't care about those spaces. Those spaces don't care about us. They're yeah. not investing in us. In fact, the labor that it takes to get to those spaces, the little bit of fee that they're paying you to be in those spaces doesn't pay for the work. Most people are in an exhaustive cycle where you go and present your work in a space like that or another platform and you're exhausted by the end of it, totally depleted, feeling uncreative. There's a landscape of funding right now where all these fellowships are going to like radical artists who are doing this work and what they require of you to be in those programs, no matter how radical the programs might seem in their uh, language about their programs, the folks I know who are going through these programs are exhausted by the success. So I think there's a big problem in the landscape around like, what are the markers of success? What does it take to achieve that success? And then what does it take from you to be in, that, in those spotlights? Um, it's a big, big problem, and there's some conversations that I feel like are very present for me around that, which is, I think, related to, because there are some ways in which people are, more people are being successfully funded by these larger funding, radical funding landscapes that I have big questions about. Even ones that I've gotten, you know, I mean, yeah. If there isn't another question right now, I'll ask about the, maybe try to connect us to the setting that we're in, the Contemporary African Art Fair, thinking about African diaspora. How do you see your work positioned 
in conversation with what is happening on the continent or black African performance artists, choreographers, institution builders that are present within the space of the dance world in New York City? Yeah. I mean, part of, part of my work was to, I didn't feel like I was seeing work that spoke to like my heritage or the, yeah, that stimulated me in a certain kind of way. And that's kind of why I've, that I kept making work and built Dance Group and Collective so that that could exist. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's like, I feel like I've also been a little bit siloed in my own little like Caribbean bubble that I am not. And because I think that my work specifically was, I was, focusing on Caribbean audiences, not like I wasn't trying to get famous. <laughs> so, um, whereas I think uh, other folks like that are, are, they're working on mainstream stages, right? So they have, you know, people who just are on the Joyce roster who'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Nora show because it's in my membership, or, you know? So yeah, there's a way that I feel sort of separated from, from that because I, I, I've, I'm not, I haven't invested in, in being a part of, I guess, larger conversations. And so that they happen, but they're few and far between. But there, there is some, yeah, there is a parallel between, I guess, people who are more visible in this work in the African diaspora um, and those who aren't, who are working in, in smaller settings. I see a direct through line in terms of process with your work yeah. and Nora's work. She travels home to Zimbabwe very often, is in the space with family, community, and is doing deep research, and that is so reflected in her work in progress uh, showings and also in the final settings. And then also uh, she's starting to present um, films, and we're showing two on our program, and I'm seeing so many connections there. So even if uh, you're not necessarily uh, speaking to or working with um, the... There are parallels, yeah. 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 In 2009, a woman named Joan Frosch put out a um, film called Movement Revolution about contemporary African choreographers. Um, I was a member of Urban Bushwoman at the time and about to embark on a years-long collaboration between Urban Bushwomen and Compagnie Jantby, based in Senegal, um, which we, work, we were in process with and toured for three years, both in the US, well, in the US, in Europe, and on the continent. Um, and that film was an entry point for me into like some very powerful, really grounded work that I think was the beginning of a push for me to go home the next year and relearn fishing from my father. I just saw some very, um, the, the conversations the work was having between all of the experiences, the accumulation of experiences that were present within the work that included, okay, we have been colonized and we have access to these other spaces and other ideas and we're deeply grounded in these traditions and the ways that that seemed to fuel an explosive range of curiosity and creativity. Um, was in, was inspiring for me around like what what is the work um, not to be in any particular model that any particular artist had presented but to have this swath of artists presented that were working in this way that felt grounded and expansive yeah thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to be in conversation with you too. Thank you for sharing your deep, deep and beautiful work. Um, and thank you for being a wonderful audience. I'm sure that there'll be one-on-one -on -one questions and I've got a few more leading that I will uh, harass you with over email and text and over coffee. Uh, thank you so much, everybody. Yeah, thank, you. thank you all.